The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, February 28, 2022, as we bring you a new episode. Last week, I made a bold proclamation that the two parties would come together and agree on a new CBA by Friday. I was very wrong. There's no deal still between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. And honestly, from the reporting from those that are in Jupiter, Florida, that have resources and sources within Major League Baseball and the Players Association... It doesn't sound like one is close. Today is the day that Major League Baseball posed as a deadline to a new deal to avoid any cancellation of regular season games. However, within the articles of the collective bargaining between Major League Baseball and the Players Association, the amount of games played has to be negotiated and agreed upon by both parties. Even though the start of the season could be delayed, Theoretically, 162 games could still be played in 2022. That's if the two parties can come together and make a deal. You guys also had some questions, topics for us that we are going to answer later in the show. But joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Many national writers pointed to March 1st as the day that if a new CBA isn't agreed upon by that date, it's time to start panicking about opening day. Major League Baseball has threatened to cancel the scheduled opening day if a new deal cannot be agreed upon, well, today. My optimism for these two parties to work out a deal has Mm -hmm. decided to take a lift over to O'Hare and fly away for a month. How are you feeling about the talks that occurred over the weekend? They don't seem serious. And I've kind of ceased to care about details because the details seem very, I I guess they don't seem substantial or if they exist one day, then they disappear. Like for instance, like the latest development today where major league baseball 
Um, according to Evan, Evan Drellich said that uh, they've tied eliminating draft, direct draft pick compensation and free agency or the qualifying offer to increase competitive balance tax rates. So it's like, okay, but didn't they agree to just ditch draft pick compensation to begin with like a couple weeks ago? Wasn't that already agreed to? So that it seems like it's, it went from being one of the few settled items of business or one of the things the uh, league thought that it was, you know, more or less could give the players. They're now taking it back and uh, stapling it to something bad. And we saw the same thing too with uh, limiting options for players. Like the, originally the league proposed it to five options for a season. So like someone like Matt Foster can only go up and down five times over the course of a year, the fringe players, or the, uh, if you're like the Rays or Dodgers, one of your extra many, many arms. Um, but in this case, like they, they said like, okay, we'll limit the five options. The league wanted, or the, the union wanted four. So instead of saying like four or five, let's talk about it. Uh, major league baseball floated the idea of getting the right to reduce the amount of minor league jobs. And then when that proved to be unpopular, they took that off the table and also any five option deal. <laughs> and then that came back into the uh, play later, like as one of the things they'd grant players is okay, five options. And like, it, so it just comes and goes and, and gets attached to something terrible and then disappears, comes back. So I, it more or less feels like if you hang on every single development, you stand the chance of just being more confused than you were if you just checked in every week. Because you might miss something that, uh, yeah, if you check in like the, just this right, you know, in between like frequently and infrequently, you might end up being very confused or misled in terms of what's actually been agreed to. So at this point, it almost feels like you're better off just not caring uh, to where like, you know, when you hear agreement, when you get the uh, notifications from your various sports and news apps telling you that a season's going to happen, then I think it's like time to check in. Otherwise, like if you're hanging on the particulars, I mean, it's my job too, so I do, but I don't feel like any more knowledgeable for having done so as opposed to somebody who's just checking in every couple of weeks and saying, Hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, these kind of talks needed to happen between January 10th to the 16th, not the last week of February. Yeah. Cause I just feel they're not close. I, I feel dumb last week. I was so optimistic, Jim. I, I figured for this episode a week ago, we're going to be nerdy. We're going to go into the details of the CBA and hash out here are the new rules for the next five seasons. Mm -hmm. Now I feel dumb and it's like, they're not making any progress. And poor Bob Nightingale of USA today on Sunday, he tweets out after contacting his source with the league, asking how are things going and tweets that an MOB official says that the talks were productive. 30 minutes later, after he has a conversation with someone at the Players Association, he tweets out that nothing was formally proposed and the two sides are far apart on key issues. I don't know about you, Jim, but that's a totally different definition that I have on what is constituted as quote unquote productive. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say poor Bob Nightingale because he might know what he's doing, depending on, you know, if he's carrying, you know, <laughs> uh, carrying water for certain sides and he has been known to do so. And, and a lot of reporters have, so he's not alone in that. But yeah, it, it's a case where like it's in the league's interest to maintain either productive conversa conversations or the facade 
of productive conversations because that means they're bargaining and that means that, you know, should it come down to like say a lawsuit, if there is no traction and a lockout drags on and starts costing players games, like they want to at least have the front of, you know, bringing things to the table. So that's why it feels like, you know, and on one hand, like some days might feel like last weekend where, yeah, it's, they're finally having the serious conversations. This can be resolved in 10 days because there's a lot of middle ground between the two sides that the players uh, are willing to give and have shown like most recently by uh, reducing their super two demands instead of making it like 80% or 75%. Now it's down to 35% serious give on their side and just a little bit more money uh, going to them from the owners rather than like a, a complete revision for how pay scales work for arbitration eligible players. Um, you know, they've shown the ability to meet in the middle or lower their demands when they feel like there's a serious chance it could get something done. The league has not shown that. And it just feels like they're moving things around long enough to where it, it kind of reminds me a little bit like, say, of if you're trying to, like, say, if you're interviewing for a job for two places and you really want one job, but they're slower in getting back to you and other places have already offered you a job. Mm-hmm. It seems like the kind of situation where, like, you might be saying, like, well, what about this? How many paid days off? Could I get more days off? Well, what about salary? Uh, work from home flexibility. Just keep bringing these variables and trying to hem and haul your way until you finally hear back from the job you want. And you're hoping slash counting on that the company you're talking to isn't catching wise like, oh, this guy doesn't want to work here. Like that's kind of what it reminds me of. Just uh, an unserious conversation with uh, enough going for it to where like, if you get directly accused of being unserious, you can say, no, I really want this. This is you know important to me. This is why I'm asking. Uh, but then like if, if that next job opens up or if there's a crack that develops, like they're going to pounce on it and never commit to anything uh, serious. Uh, you know, nothing that they can't take back, nothing formal. So it's just, it's a mess. And that's kind of where I'm at, where I just don't feel like the league is, the league's fine missing games, a shorter schedule, paying players less in hopes of breaking the union or just paying less and you get the idea just based on, you know, the contraction of minor league baseball and then the uh, wanting the right to remove future minor league jobs. Like just a lot of things, you know, kind of lining up to where uh, baseball owners think less baseball is better than more baseball. And that's not who you want running baseball. Very good points, Jim. And I agree. I think we almost need a a follow up. Is it the Lords of the Realm? Yes. The title of the book from the uh, what? That's the eighty one strike, right? Yeah, it covers a lot of it, but yeah, that covers basically the entire history of uh, baseball labor through the eighties, and then the game. That's by John Hellyar, and then I think John Pessa, uh, P E S S H A H. Uh, he wrote the game and that's kind of a follow-up or like, you know, piggybacks on the work of uh, Lords of the Realm, but carries it into the nineties and two thousands. So there've been a couple books, but I think, yeah, Lords of the Realm is, uh, is the best one for everything that's come before basically. Well, we, we need the third edition after yeah. it, whenever they agree on a new deal, we need whistleblowers in the league's office Maybe an owner who doesn't like another owner spills the beans. We need insight on which of these owners of the 30 teams really wants to dramatically change the revenue structure of how Major League Baseball works. 
as far as paying players and those that really want to restrict the amount of minor league teams that they have to cut as much operational cost as possible while increasing or and creating new revenue channels, especially with sports gambling and sports books now being built next to or part of stadiums in the upcoming years. It is just fascinating on how the league itself has really shifted and perhaps you're just having more and more owners who don't really care about the sport. It's just an investment opportunity. It's an opportunity now to increase my portfolio and it is strictly about money and not about the health of the sport because maybe they don't give a damn, Jim. If they hit the magic number that the valuation of their franchise hits $2 billion, well, it's time to go. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> no. like, it's like the ones that care aren't allowed to care. Right. Like, uh, not only just, I'm, I'm thinking with, you know, obviously competitive balance tax and like Steve Cohen wants to spend $300 million or the Dodgers want to do that, Yankees, et cetera. Like, some teams want and to and can and, and, and some teams might want to and can't. But even like, you know, I'm thinking back to our discussion with Keith Law and, and, and talking about how, uh, you know, the league floated the idea of reducing the amount of minor league players. And like, that's something that like small market teams could benefit from. If like, say, uh, bigger, smarter teams, you know, we'll put smarter in quotes because this is untested, but like the Astros, let's say they want to cut an entire affiliate uh, level and just basically save, you know, put more of their investment into baseball labs and thinking like, well, we can make our strides uh, in baseball labs. So we're going to save money on overhead and, and having teams. Maybe a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, which wins with every affiliate it has, might say like, oh, that's another affiliate we can win with. We want more players because just having more players and having more uh, more chances to strike gold uh, or, or like, you know, kind of, I guess oil might also be the case where just like, oh, here's a geyser of talent. Uh, just, uh, you know, providing our roster with more great, cheap, interchangeable players uh, that, that we can trade, you know, and, and keep the cycle going. So like it would be kind of cool or at least you know, interesting is, you know, if teams were allowed to like have fewer affiliates and some teams were allowed to have more and then you have this marketplace of ideas uh, teams, you know, you know, doing, doing more, doing less, paying more, paying less, and just get an idea of what works and what ultimately prevails or what works for certain teams. But when you try to limit across the board, how many teams or how many players a team can employ and how many affiliates it can field that just, yeah, that, that points to just, um, cheapness and, you know, it's probably, you know, big market cheapness in the way of like the, the, the Jeff Lunau, uh, Astros consultant brain to where like, it's not a matter of money. It's just a matter of cutting costs and having the most beautiful bottom line. Mm -hmm. And in some cases like, you know, Oakland or I wouldn't say Tampa, but just, uh, you know, I'm trying to think like Pittsburgh, maybe, or, or even like teams that are like moderately successful, but just don't care about the minors, maybe like a Miami or something like that. That's trying to get this debt in order. Like maybe they don't care and just would be happy to have fewer, even if, uh, you know, it does represent a cheaper way to get better. Like it's, at least that would be a way of like competing, even if uh, some teams are competing less. So Ken Rosenthal, who no longer works for MLB Network, so he can say whatever he wants to about Rob Manfred. He wrote, I thought, a pretty interesting column, at least given his thoughts about the current conversations and what's going on between the league and the Players Association. And I just want to share part of his column uh, the last 
couple of paragraphs I, I th- really caught my attention because again Ken Rosenthal has been working for MLB Network he hasn't had the opportunity to pull the gloves off and throw any punches at Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball but Ken Rosenthal wrote he called the lockout defensive when it was nothing of the sort Manfred said the strategy was attended to quote unquote jumpstart negotiations then waited 43 days to make an offer he claimed the owners could make more in the stock market than with the resales of their clubs. He portrayed himself as a master negotiator, practically a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize, while his negotiations were going nowhere. Manfred can't deal with this union. He breathed life into this union. Yes, his job is difficult, more difficult than many of us know, but it's his responsibility to lead the owners and by extension the sport. Give him credit for this much. He said missing games would be a disastrous outcome for the industry. On that point, he's about to be proven right. So that leads to later this afternoon, later this evening on Monday, February 28th. If you're listening to this podcast the next day or later in the week, you're probably going to hear about some decision Major League Baseball is going to try to implement by saying that Games will now be canceled or opening day that was originally scheduled for March 31st will not be happening. And I know that you have also been tying your thoughts, Jim, to what Rob Manfred said in his press conference after the owners meeting in Orlando, Florida. And when he did say that it would be disastrous for Major League Baseball to miss any games because of a lockout in 2022. Are we there? Are we at the disastrous point? Uh Pretty much, unless, you know, the league has any give in its uh, deadline or like in, in its willingness to pay players for 162 games, even if they only play like 155. And we just haven't seen any give whatsoever for, you know, any kind of points or any kind of give comes with strings attached. Like every offer, every kind of olive branch is qualified or is flimsy, whatever you want to call it for, uh, you know, just... Beat and switchy, we'll say. (laughs) It's not quite, uh, yeah, it's not entirely a rope a dope, but pretty close. Um, And and it feels like they're just constantly trying to turn the screws on players at any time. So it just seemed like to tidy it all up over the course of a few days and keep opening day on track and pull back on all the threats they've made about, um, you know, the the drop dead dates and uh, the unwillingness to play 162 or pay 162. Uh, it would seem to go against character at this point. I think they've, you know, their their track record from the lockout onward is a case where you just, you know, at some point you just have to, you know, posturing's posturing, but then after a while, you know, posturing is what you are. Like you just, it's like if you are, are hunched over for a while and you try to stand up straight, uh, it doesn't happen. Like you're, you're, you lock into place based on how you've been acting. And at some point I imagine that, uh, they, they've been so inflexible that I just don't see how they can drop everything they've done to maintain this hard line and say like, yeah, we can, we can, we can play with a week. Like that, that seems odd to me. It's going to be really hard to take Rob Manfred at his word moving forward during his tenure as commissioner of major league baseball. If they are going to announce cancellation of games later this week, Jim, or even later today, yeah. <laughs> uh, after talks in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah, I guess like I, I've 
I found it hard to take him seriously based on just his conversation around the quality control surrounding the baseball. Sure. And the yes. different baseballs here. You're in your like he's he's uh he's he's both like not straightforward or or in some cases like he uh talks out of both sides of his mouth, but he also you know has he's not a charming liar. Some liars are charming. Mm-hmm. He is not. Yeah. Does does not have the charisma uh, yes. to to pull this roll off right now and that's where we are again like bud bud selig didn't have charisma but he was good enough at i'm thinking we're seeing selig's skill now was keeping the owners together Mm -hmm. Uh, and and if they're doing some any kind of infighting it didn't actually trickle down to a lockout and well i mean obviously when he uh was you know overseeing the whole like strike part yeah i mean but like in the in the wake of the strike and like afterwards the negotiation negotiation cycles afterwards you know you didn't hear the small market big markets smart teams old school teams etc like that you're hearing the squabbling i would it would be uh i think good though if, if somebody could name names and for owners uh, the way, like, I'm thinking, like, Jerry Reinsdorf was one of the hardliners in 94. Like, it'd be good to know if he were doing that or if, you know, somebody else is. Just, I think it, it, it helps fans to put, to be able to put names to demands rather than just saying it's a league because it doesn't seem like this, the, these uh, demands that the league is trying to put into place benefit everybody. It seems like it's very punitive towards a few owners. Mm-hmm. To me, it almost strikes me as like the, the U S Senate a little bit and that everybody gets equal representation, no matter, you know, you know, what size your state is. Like if you're Wyoming or if you're California, you just get two senators. It's kind of the same thing with like, you know, right now you can just have a number of small market teams and not even small market teams, you know, small market teams that aren't trying, that don't care, that don't invest. Um, Cause like Milwaukee, I think is a good small market team, like a good, you know, smart, but also like, you know, an ownership that's caring. And if like, say Pittsburgh had the effort of a Milwaukee, Pittsburgh would be fine. You wouldn't hear about Pittsburgh crying poor because Pittsburgh, you know, the fans would be engaged the way that Brewers fans are engaged, the way that Royals fans have been engaged. So I'm, I'm, I'd be fascinated to know just like, which owners are the ones putting sticks in the spokes? Having names, I think would be very helpful. You know, for one, just being able to talk about it and say like, you know, where are the fishers in, in, in the league? And also just uh, for fans, like which fans should be the angriest? Yeah. I, I guess what do you have to lose if you're a national reporter and you have this information, you, you, you know, but you, you're afraid to report it because then you could be burning a bridge with that team and, and lose out on your, your sources. But eventually this information is going to come out. I do agree with you, Jim. If we know today, which teams are drawing a hard line in the sand and they're not budging on the competitive balance tax. They're not budging on the league minimum salary. If that ever come to light today or later this week, they would get a lot of heat, a lot of heat fans calling in to their ticket reps and fans complaining on social media about the owners like you would need to hide you couldn't do anything on social media or don't pay attention to your emails if you don't want to see the noise because you would get tremendous amount of heat as an owner if it was leaked out that you are one of the seven or eight that is making things complicated and not having these talks progress because you don't want to spend more. Yeah, not caring about baseball in April. Right. And and that's 
that's where we're going now. Cause I, I put up that poll and it's like well over 75% now of our followers that think that opening day is going to be in May or later. Like the majority of our followers. And I think the majority of baseball fans are at the point, the last day of February that we're not going to see regular season baseball in April. And that sucks. That sucks. There's a lot of people that had booked trips for opening day, or maybe there was a series, especially for the White Sox early in the season that they were interested in catching, maybe following the team or, Hey, I live in Kansas city and the White Sox are going to be here for the Royals opening day. I'm going to go catch those games. You're going to have to change your plans. Thankfully, a lot of our big events that we have planned are, are after July. But as this continues to progress, if there's not a deal done by March 31st, Jim, we're going to be talking about games being canceled in May. And then I'm going to start sweating about our plans that we had for the second half of this upcoming regular season. It sucks. It, it sucks. That's, there's no other yeah. way to put it right now. Yeah, I don't know how pessimistic to be just because, you know, of, of the idea still that when it happens, it's going to happen fast. Things are going to tumble into place pretty quickly. It does seem like based on their posturing and, and no real traction towards a resolution or of any kind uh, on any topic, really, that uh, it, it seems like owners are fine with losing April baseball, which is why even schedule it then? Right. You know what? Here's a hot take. Let's not play 162 games ever. Let's never have games scheduled in April. You can just push spring training back. Make May 1st your new opening day. Reduce the schedule to 140 games. Will that make the owners happy? <laughs> you get 70 home games now, not 81 home games. Now you can jack up the, the yeah, cost I of your tickets. Yeah, I still want to know how this affects uh, the RSNs, though. Not having the planned programming, the mm -hmm. live program that makes your channel so expensive on your cable deals how is that going to affect bottom lines you're already seeing like you know uh mlb tv trending for all the people and, and i did one of them you know reminding people to cancel their auto renews uh because they go into effect on march 1st like and and if you're listening uh now like, <laughs> i guess we'll use uh this for a psa make sure to cancel your mlb tv if you have it on auto renew because it'll renew on march 1st that's got to have some effect i would say and and that's why, why I imagine like they haven't really talked about shortening the schedule just because like it is free programming mm -hmm. for the channels they own. At some point, Fox and Disney are going to start screaming at the league. Yeah. Right. They're going to start screaming because they are missing out on programming that they have paid a lot of money for. The two entities combined spend over a billion dollars a season on national television rights. And if they're not getting those games, then they're going to have to redistribute those ads that they've already probably sold for these national games. They're going to start screaming. RSNs, a lot of teams own. The White Sox own a significant chunk of NBC Sports Chicago. They may be reporting numbers that Jerry Reinsdorf and his uh, other board members are not going to want to see. Uh, because the Blackhawks suck. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now it's the Chicago Bulls channel because the White Sox aren't playing any baseball in the month of April. So things could get really bad for the local RSNs. And we already know the troubles that the Cubs have launching their own RSN. And we've already been hearing the troubles that Bali Sports is having right now. 
Uh, the entire model of the regional sports networks could radically change in the next couple of years because they're not making money. So they're going to start screaming. So right now it's fans screaming. Soon it's going to be the television networks and the major sponsors starting to scream, where are my games? And is that going to influence owners to make a deal? Or are they going to still try to be political and point the finger at the Players Association that they're not budging off their demands when the league itself is not making any serious proposal to the Players Association? Mm-hmm. We're going to find out. <laughs> We're going to find out in a month. But Jim and I are going to take a quick break. You guys had some really good questions for us uh, that we're going to answer after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so we asked our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Sox Machine and our followers on Twitter, which you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh for some questions and topics to kind of break up as far as all this conversation regarding Major League Baseball CBA. And Jim, we got some really good questions. So I want to start with Azenrec, one of our Patreon supporters. And they asked, burying the agreement on a new CBA anytime soon, will Sox Machine transition to a Chicago Dogs website? Uh, maybe for me, but you're a brat guy, so apparently it only goes so far. Um, have you been to a Chicago Dogs game? Yeah, I've been to one out in Rosemont. It's like 270 feet down the right field line. Hmm. So that's why Keon, Keon Barnum uh, hit uh, 30-something homers? Yeah, I have to double-check. I, I could be exaggerating on what the field dimensions are for the Chicago Dogs. I'm going to look this up here. But it's it's a nice stadium, uh, plenty of parking as far as in the parking garage. And, you know, it's just independent baseball. The food is good there. I, I do have to say the food is good. It, it's good value. It's It's right there, I would say... 
maybe it's a step down from going to a Winston-Salem dash game. Yeah. I mean, I could see them doing, uh, you know, being one of the few parties that benefits from a lockout. Like you know, anything minor league baseball too will benefit from just having baseball. Um, like I'm looking forward to the Nashville Sounds having baseball in April. I know the Charlotte Knights are going to be playing in Nashville. So if we're uh, still talking lockout and have no games to watch, at least I'll have Charlotte Knights to watch, even if it might be a piecemeal Charlotte Knights roster full of non-roster invitees and French guys. But very least, there'll be baseball to watch. So yeah, it's uh yeah, I can see you know some of those teams. Like I'm thinking like the teams that might have been left out of the affiliate baseball when minor league baseball was contracted, uh, having a bit of a comeback because like, Hey, we're out of this whole mess now. Just come watch the purest form of the game. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, uh, Chicago dogs, I can't follow them. So, uh, it won't be a Chicago dog site, but <laughs> yeah, if anybody wants to go and, and, uh, write it up for shop talk or what have you like, feel free. Yeah, the field dimensions, left field, 312 feet. Mm. Center field, 390 feet. I do remember. It's 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 a it's a vast center field. Right field, 294 feet. So it's mm. off by 24 feet. But yeah, it's it's short down the lines. If you it it might be one of the few ballparks that I I think I could possibly hit one out. If I'm swinging with a metal bat that we had when we played Little League with the extra ping to it that adds like an extra 50 feet, I I wonder. That could be one of those, could a normal person, a non-professional athlete, hit a home run out of Impact Field in Rosemont for the Chicago Dogs? Maybe I'm getting a little cocky. Maybe I couldn't do that, but 294 feet, man. Yeah, I think it kind of reminds Mercy. me of in Asheville, um, which is the smallest park I've seen used for professional baseball. It's I'm looking up 297 to right field, 320 to uh, the right center power alley, and 373 to center. Yeah, that's small. And they compensate by making the you know, walls 30, 40 feet tall around that side, but they're just in the foothills of a mountain, so they can't. Uh, they can only go so far back. But it's a really cool field. But yeah, a lot of cheap homers, and it's a case where uh, if you're looking at crazy box scores uh, when we're doing the uh, you know, White Sox minor keys posts, every time they're in Asheville, I just look at uh, you know, who homered, and if it's a weird uh, showing of power, where'd they hit it? Right field? Ah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go, Azenrec. We will not transition to a Chicago Dogs website, but the Chicago Dogs... And uh, as far as I think they are in the American Association, they their games will start in May. So a PSA for those looking for baseball games to attend up in Rosemont. But thank you so much for your question. As in rec, Mark Sambor asks us, Jim, White Sox pitching has largely been awful during the last two postseasons. And the primary reason they haven't advanced. If the White Sox don't make any moves this offseason post-lockout, to improve their pitching staff, why should we expect different results if they make the postseason? Well, I think when it comes to the, you know, I would say the 2020 season, hard one to evaluate just basically, you know, because of everything that happened. Um, and, you know, I think the White Sox tried to compensate for 2020, 
by adding Lance Lynn. They wanted to avoid a situation where three games in, the manager is out of ideas. Carlos Rodon then made it interesting. Dylan Cease uh, also, you know, added, you know, his, you threw his hat into the ring as somebody deserving of a postseason start this time around. So it was a lot healthier than it was in 2020. And I don't think those two years are the same. So I have a hard time, like, you know, drawing equivalence between the two of them. I think, you know, where I'm maybe thinking there's a, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a loose approach to how they're building the pitching staff is if a lot rides on Michael Kopech being a fully contributing starter for even like 25 starts and being at full strength by the end of the year. If there's nobody behind him, like say like, you know, if he's, he's a deserving number five starter, like you could do a lot worse than having Michael Kopech as your opening day number five starter. But as we've talked about before, like number six starter, number seven starter, very dicey. And, you know, those guys can get, you know, a, a fair amount of run over the course of a season. And a lot of teams have uh, shaky fifth through seventh starters. So it's not necessarily a weakness. It's just more of a matter of is that starter, uh, you know, is that Jimmy Lambert? Is that Reynaldo Lopez covering for an injured Lance Lynn versus like, you know, Dallas Keuchel or is Lucas Giolito uh, pull a hamstring and require uh, Jonathan Stever? Uh, and, and Dallas Keuchel is the one who's healthy. And all of a sudden it's Keuchel and a Kopech who's on an innings high and Dylan Cease who's, you know, it, it's, uh, that's, I think, the weakest part of this whole staff because uh, I think the bullpen sound, the rotation's very good. It, it can win a division easily. Just more of a matter of how they're going to manage Michael Kopech's innings and if there's any concern about just running on fumes by the end of it. I, I think maybe we're talking about this a little bit differently if the Astros weren't the the opening round opponent uh, just because the Astros were very good. Like, they were a very good offense um, and, 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 you know, well-tailored to punish pitchers who are not on the top of their games. And especially Lance Lynn, somebody who uh, gets by with fastballs and, and, and manipulating the fastball mainly as his main weapon. Like he just has a hard time against them. So you hope they have a better idea against the Astros, but I think part of it's going to be like better Lucas Giolito. Uh, you may be Dylan Cease with one more year of seasoning uh, can be a different guy. And then just after that, hoping that Michael Kopech shores up uh, you know his uh, the various things that have interrupted him from putting in a full season's work and he's not affected by it. But I, I don't see anything wrong with how they've built their staff. I think just the the only thing is just off roster is, is my biggest concern. And, and that's not really anything that's really indicative of anything Ethan Katz is doing wrong or you maybe even at the top, Rick Hahn is doing wrong. Maybe I think Chris Getz might have something to answer for in terms of why they've struggled to produce starters who aren't Michael Kopech. But... I would hope that over the course of the season, and maybe this is something where, you know, they might have to talk about it is like Tony La Russa being a little bit more flexible with alternate arrangements for starters, whether it's, you know, um, piggybacking, whether it's openers, just having an idea for if there is an emergency, how to work around that. Because as we saw, uh, he was still pretty rigid in the postseason. I don't think it would have mattered. I think the Astros were just better. And, uh, you know, even if he made perfect pitching changes over the course of the series, they still would have lost. But uh, I think he was a little bit rigid and conventional in the postseason when uh, guys were not showing the ability to do so for more than one turn through the order. Andrew Seagull wrote to us, Jim has talked about how the White Sox payroll would naturally rise after a second playoff appearance because of the enthusiasm leading to a rise in ticket sales. How badly might a lockout and a reduced season affect this on-ramp to a larger payroll? 
It might not hurt them as much as other teams just because their stadium deal is pretty sweet. And they don't have to pay, at least you know, according to the original terms of the uh, deal with the state, they don't have to pay rent on the stadium for, uh, or basically like the first 1.2 million tickets they sell, uh, they do not have to pay rent on. And then afterwards, like they have to pay a percentage of ticket sales after that. They've been able to do fairly well, uh, even in their leaner years, just by not having uh, much in the way of stadium overhead. So I think, you know, if there is a diminishing return at the gate in total, I don't think it'll hurt as much as, you know, having a big dent in their season ticket base. If they have a big swell in their season ticket base numbers and the labor deal gets sorted out and they feel like, if we can hang on to 85% of our season tickets that we gained year over year, we'll be in great shape for 2023. We can bank on that a little bit and we're getting great uh, TV ratings and we're getting great radio ratings. They should be okay. And I don't think it should interfere too much because every team's in the same boat, but you know, should they stumble and should this be like a, like say, you know, if they have a, a rough, you know, if the league misses a month and it's just a really rocky introduction, if the White Sox come out looking like they should and win the Central, I think White Sox fans will be very forgiving because everybody loves postseason baseball on the South Side. So I, I think uh, you're not going to see many scars from it. However, should the White Sox stumble and should the White Sox, you know, you have to pack it in and should fans be disillusioned by, oh, great, here's. 1994 all over again, like a brief window that looked like a uh, run of sustainable success undercut by labor strife. And we're not seeing any indication that Jerry Reinsdorf was one of the good guys, even if he wasn't like one of the malignant actors like he was in 94. I could see that being, you know, undoing a lot of the progress they've made in building that interest, whether it's season tickets, uh, walk-up tickets, or uh, you know, TV ratings. And maybe that just cuts it out. So I think it's very important whenever the season starts that the White Sox do what they can on the field to maintain the excitement or restore the excitement because I think White Sox fans want to be excited. They've been waiting for this and should they get off to a hot start in May and should everything start in May and they are in first place by the end of it, I think uh, White Sox fans will still be on board and other markets will be experiencing what the White Sox experienced in 94, 95 and, and the ones licking their wounds and being like, uh, you guys cost us our fun and we're going to hold that against you. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at the payroll right now, they're still fifth in major league baseball employer payroll before the lockout opens up the off season again. So whether they, I'm going to say this is a choice. They, they chose to be in the position that they currently are and hopefully depending on how many games are played in 2022, if they make the postseason again for a third straight season and a second year with home playoff games, that we're not going to see a dramatic reduction in payroll for the 2023 season uh, as things get really ramped up in 2022. Uh, Southpaw Jackson wrote to us, if you could choose throwback jerseys for the White Sox to wear this season, what would be your top choice? Hmm. And what would be your last choice? I think I would go, I, I like the powder blue uniforms. Uh, oh, I think they're the road uniforms. The blue uh, Sox logos of the late 60s. 
I can take or leave those. Like the late 60s, like early 1970s last year, they wore them. But the powder blue road jerseys with the white script with Chicago and then the White Sox in the, mm-hmm. like the last jersey I bought was a Louis Aparicio uh, road blue jersey. And it's beautiful. <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite looks of theirs. And uh, the problem is it's a road jersey, so they would not. It's close to what they wore in Oakland. Remember when Oakland was celebrating their uh, centennial? Like it was, it was like, those jerseys yeah. were because they were doing a, a favor for Oakland or like they were participating in their throwback uh, uh, game. But those are, I think my favorite look. And if they could wear those, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, on the road cause you want to show off for your fans, but like, like if they could modify it for a home Jersey, I would uh, be on board with that. Yeah. Okay. So what would be the, the look that you would not want? Uh, if you count, um, I, I've seen some nostalgia for the late eighties, uh, Einhorn E, uh, mm. and I just think those are unremarkable in every way. They're not bad, but you can see why the White Sox have never rushed back to revisit it. And I think it's better off just being left in the past or the occasional cap of somebody who, you know, grew up loving those teams. Like, okay. Yeah. I, I like seeing them in the fans, uh, or in the stands, you know, on fans heads, but I don't see any reason why they should be brought back. There's a lot of gear both in the White Sox team store and at Grandstand, just a couple blocks away from Guarantee Rate Field on 35th. There's a lot of gear, Jim, with that logo. Just makes me wonder when I see so much of it, are we going to see this look on the field again with some type of modification? Uh, I don't They're unremarkable teams. That 1990 team was best known for their turn back the clock jerseys which turned into the uh you know jerseys they're wearing now or basically like the they, they spun into their look that they're wearing now so it would seem like that was just a placeholder jersey between two iconic looks the double knits and then the mm-hmm. uh you know jersey that they're wearing right now the other thing i've seen a lot of you know, uh, public support for is the vest look yeah never cared for it oh jim yeah i feel like that's gonna be my unpopular take i love is the vest didn't think it had much. Like, I don't hate them. Just, I don't get why they're popular. Just, or like, they did nothing for me. I'll put it that way. Okay. The vest is versatile. You can wear, you know, your short sleeve I, I, or lawn sleeve under it. Well, I like the idea of vests. If you can do like the Ted Klazuski thing and have like cut off sleeves and just have like <laughs> Jimmy Cordero with the vest, like that would be... If he could like modify the undersleeve to whatever he wanted, yeah, then I'd be on board. But just like the basic, you know, kind of just kind of reminds me of just the basketball jerseys when you know wearing t-shirts underneath it, mm-hmm. or like you know the the um, you know, compression sleeves or you know the the tops underneath it. Like it always looks lamer to me than just a basketball jersey. Like the whole idea of wearing a basketball jersey to me is like pro basketball players can, are the only people who can wear them. <laughs> That's true. Like most fans cannot. Yeah, so, I don't look good in them. Yeah. I don't look good in them. We're going to have people screaming at us that say, I look great in a basketball jersey. Just because you think you do doesn't mean the public agrees with you. And good. You know, have confidence. <laughs> like, I can tell you, you don't look good. But just like, but, you know, like, they're to me, they're not like great 
casual wear. Got it. Like, you know, baseball jerseys are close enough. I guess like, you know, basically, I guess it's tank top rules. So, uh, you know, if you can wear a tank top, then I guess you can wear a basketball jersey. And some people just like wearing tank tops no matter what. So, uh, you know, it's on you to accept that. And I'm fine with that. I appreciate the uh, diversity in attire. So um, I'm not saying don't wear them. Just saying that basketball players make them look the best. And it always it always seems like, hey, T-shirts underneath jerseys are for fans who... Mm-hmm don't have the arm definition to make that work. Yeah, I, I do have to say, though, our friend Beef Loaf over from the 108, he does look good in the tank tops and the basketball jerseys. He he can rock that. So if he's thinking yeah, that we're subtweeting. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what it is, man. He just He's just got the, the right combination uh, to be well, able to it's wear It's kind of like bow ties in a way. Like, you know, if you're... You can wear a bow tie if you never question yourself wearing a bow tie. There you go. If you're saying like, should I be wearing this? Then you shouldn't be wearing it. So I think it's the same thing like tank tops and such. Like if you just, you have to feel like it needs to be on you. Right. I, I can't pull it off. I'm too pale. I look really weird. I look really weird in a tank top or basketball jersey. Uh, for myself, I'm not a big fan of the 1973 red pinstripe look. I know there are some that do. And for some White Sox fans, they loved it when the White Sox carried that. Was it 2014 when they had those jerseys? Or was it 2013? It might have been 2012, the 72 team. Okay. I'm thinking Got it was. It. That, that makes sense. Uh, that was the Sunday uniforms before they switched over to the 83s. Uh, I love the 1959 look. I, I really do. I, I want to see more of it on the field. I don't think we will see more of it on the field. Uh, but I, I do, I really do love the 59 look, but Southpaw, thank you so much for your question. Uh, Dan wrote to us over at Fangraphs. Zips released its top 100 prospect list and Jim Brian Ramos checks in at number 20. What is a reasonable expectation for Ramos this season? I'm a fan. Uh, and I think, you know, based on the rankings that have come out, I'm more bullish on him than, other outlets are just because basically, you know, he's has a broad base of skills. Um, he, you know, he can, he can run a little bit. He can play second. He's played some third, like he's still trying to find his position, but he's not confined to first base. He's fast enough to where if he doesn't have the hands for the infield, you could put him in outfield corner, just a matter if he hits enough. And he's shown the signs of hitting enough. Like he survived in Kannapolis at age 19 uh, he never played in the DSL. He, he he fared well in the AZL, and then he fared well in Kannapolis. Doesn't strike out too often, can draw some walks, does get hit by some pitches, so he, he's got some on-base skills, and he can pull the ball in the air. Um, so I like everything. You know, he, he does a lot of things well, or he's shown signs of being able to do important things well to where if one or two of them clicks into place, He's going to be shooting up rankings. He's going to be, you know, maybe top three in the system. He's going to, he's going to maybe, depending on how good those top two are, maybe merit some top 100 consideration based on his age. Uh, the way that like Jose Rodriguez became way more impressive to people this year. I, I still am behind Rod- Rodriguez just because Rodriguez has shown he, he blasted through Winston-Salem, whereas uh, Ramos hasn't shown that. But if he started the season at Winston-Salem, that'd be a fine assignment. Aggressive, but... Um, I'd give a month or two to struggle and see how he does. But basically when it comes to players that young, if they can pull the ball in the air, they've solved a lot of the problems with like just 
making impact contact. And so that's something that I, I treasure and say like, I, I, I put a check next to that name and say, follow up and see if the other skills are coming along. Jimbo is asking, can we create a new socks machine game show? Uh, if we lose games to the lockout and he is suggesting, how about name that game where contestants wager how many facts about a game they would need to name it. Hmm. Or I'm thinking like almost like name that lineup. Name that lineup. How would that work? Like how many name? Like how many names would you need before you could name? Uh, tell what year a lineup was. Okay. Okay. That would be that would be kind of fun. Maybe that could be a variation of the name that game. This is this idea is right up Ted's alley. I mean, Ted is still crushing it in the Saturday Sporacles. I'm still having difficulties with them. Uh, I'm gonna have to talk to Ted. And if it's something that we do either for the podcast or for the website, just give out clues, like really subtle clues. Like, and can you name the game? Can you find the box score? Or it'd be a case where like, yeah, I'm thinking like, you know, if you have, if you reveal the players, but like in order of how long they've been with the teams, like Paul Canerco, that does not tell you what year it is. No, it doesn't. Uh, Jermaine Dye narrows it down. And then like, you know, perhaps then you just keep narrowing it down until somebody can guess like he's willing to say like, oh, that's 2008. And like, nope, 2007. Yeah, next one was Darren Erstad. Darren Erstad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Mark yep. Kotze. Yeah. There'd be some, some clues. Andrew Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely have to think about it, Jimbo, but I like the suggestion of, uh, of the name that game game show. That'd be tough though. That would be tough, especially for the white Sox Cause there's so many games. <laughs> we're talking about history. postseason games. It'd be a lot oh, easier, man. Oh man. Uh, all right. So I'm going to save some of these questions. Cause I'm sure that talks are not going to get better later today being pessimistic. So for those that have given us questions and topics, uh, we'll answer these later in the week along to go with the news of uh, whatever occurs later today on February 28th between the League and the Players Association. But the last one, Jim, favorite meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? I think I'm a breakfast guy because it can be lunch or dinner and I don't feel bad about it. Really? In the right diner? Like, I, I feel bad about it at home, but like in the right diner. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just, I always look at the breakfast page just to see. When do you usually eat breakfast though? Well, now it's like six, seven o'clock because of uh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Also, I appreciate that like all the variety, like pastries, that counts as breakfast. So like just a wide variety of, uh, you know, breakfast food. So yeah, I celebrate that meal the most. Got it. So if you go out for brunch... You're leaning towards the breakfast foods on that menu. Pretty much always. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm a big lunch guy. I could skip breakfast. I'm pretty sure I can skip dinner and just have lunch. And that'd be my only meal of the day. I, yeah, I would say I'm probably in that order, breakfast, lunch, dinner, especially like in, in upstate New York, we had so many good Italian delis mm -hmm. um, with, with massive subs that I would just go, you know, basically get a sandwich for, uh, lunch and eat half of it for lunch and whatever left over would be my dinner. So basically I made my dinner plans based on what I was having for lunch. And that was fine with that because <laughs> the sandwiches were very good. So yeah, in that situation, yeah, dinner, 
is is usually like yeah if i'm on my own i dinner is often left over lunch i think dinner often is just overlooked maybe I'm not, I, I don't know anyone that's like, I absolutely love dinner. I can never skip dinner. Uh, I, I think that's maybe uh, the whole grill. The the grill is basically dinner. Mm. True. So seafood, basically dinner. So I think there are some groups of food that lend itself to dinner more than others to where like I can see people being very enthusiastic if they're uh, pescatarians or something like that. I could see dinner being the best the meal they look forward to if fish is their protein or whatever, but yeah. But nothing's going to stop you having fish during lunch though. But not breakfast. But not (laughs) breakfast. No, unless you're one of those weird folks that love sardines. Yeah. But no, basically, yeah, I'm a fan of a, uh, I just watched uh, Parks and Rec. It's now the second show I've seen start to Congratulations. finish. Congratulations. Uh, and uh, yeah, and yeah, Ron Swanson's like breakfast approach. Yeah, it's, that's where I, I could relate to him. Got it. I, I thought you were going to mention waffles, that waffles was your thing. No, but I mean, I like a good waffle, so I'm not opposed. But just basically like, you know, they I think at one point they say like, why does any restaurant offer anything besides breakfast food? Yeah. And <laughs> I could, I could... I get it just because I really appreciate good diners. And I think that's just, that's a staple. So got it. I'm lucky. I live close to a good diner, the Bridgeport diner on 35th and Halstead. Did you find a diner yet since you moved to Nashville? Not yet. Just haven't done much eating indoors. Like basically most of my restaurant going has either been takeout or patio. So haven't really, you know, diners don't lend itself to that. No, it, no, they don't. But however, they have biscuits. So that's kind of, uh, I found good biscuit places. Okay. All right. That's key. I mean, you yes. are in the South now, so yes. it's inexcusable if you can't find a good biscuit. Yes. So that, that has replaced the diner for the time being. All right. Well, at least you're in luck. <laughs> so there you go. Our favorite meals. Jim is a breakfast guy. I am a lunch guy. So definitely let us know via Twitter or in the comment section. What is your favorite meal? Or if you have any good suggestions on diners, because like Jim, I'm also a big diner guy. But that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know there's just not a lot of good news right now associated just with while the sport. we're talking about food. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, again, if there's any breaking news that happens on Monday, February 28th, you could read up on those stories on SocksMachine.com. And if... By some miracle, they do agree to a new CBA. We'll break that down in the midweek podcast, which you can listen wherever you subscribe to your podcast. And if you just discovered Socks Machine, or if you've been a longtime lurker of Socks Machine, and you don't support us at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, think about doing so. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. For example, I do the MLB draft report, which there's going to be a new one coming up on Wednesday after I watched some games over the weekend, including Florida and Gonzaga, as far as two promising pitching prospects that could be available to the White Sox later in the first round that I'll be writing up and posting some video of what I saw from their Friday night starts. And that is exclusive content to our Patreon supporters. And our Patreon supporters also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And they get the first opportunity to purchase our new Socks Machine swag. And speaking of Socks Machine swag, I saw the t-shirt is up on the Socks Machine shop that you can go Mm -hmm. to the Socks Machine store. Uh, How about the trucker cap, Jim? 
I've mailed them out uh, to everybody who participated in the pre-order, so you should be receiving them hopefully early this week. Maybe while you're listening to it, <laughs> this podcast will show up. I have a few left over. I'll be putting them on the Socks Machine store and sending out a link to Patreon supporters. Before I do that, I'm going to contact uh, the manufacturer and just see if uh, what turnaround time would be for more caps. So, bef- you know, in the event that say like, yeah, we have more in hand, we can turn them around in a couple weeks. Uh, what I'll probably do is put the um, yeah put the uh, stock on the site, and then have the back order function available to if if you uh, see none available, place a back order. I'll probably have a window for you know a few days just to uh, uh, yeah, and also see if there's a minimum order of uh, hats I need in order to place an order. <laughs> Uh, but if I feel like it's attainable and if I feel like there's enough interest because these hats are pretty <laughs> awesome, if I do say so myself, uh, high quality North face hats, um, then I feel like I'll, I'll put a back order out there and, and then turn it around by the end of the week. Um, you place them and hopefully uh, get them by the end of March. Uh, so that's, I think my idea. So if you don't see any, uh, well, I'll make a point in the, Patreon page say like if you don't see any site if you don't see any stock available on the site place an order and I'll include you in the next batch uh, going out by the end of the week so that's my idea but if my manufacturer says we don't have any available then it'll just be the stock I have on hand which is only a few got it all right so if you wanted that trucker cap it should be available on the shop for our Patreon supporters soon and for those that already participate in the pre-order you should be receiving yours shortly uh, as far as early this week so very exciting and i don't think and i don't think it'll make it out of the patreon phase that much interest awesome so even more reason to sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine where monthly plans start at two dollars a month and you can save nine percent with an annual plan again that's patreon.com slash socks machine and that will do it for this socks machine podcast Thank you guys so much for listening. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.